You're listening to the Midnight Movie Snack Podcast with Chris and Garrett. Good evening, this is Chris with the Midnight Movie Snack Podcast. In 1979, producer Richard Kobritz was working on the Salem's Lot miniseries that Toby Hooper directed, based on the novel by Stephen King. Listeners of the podcast may remember that last October we covered that miniseries. During production of Salem's Lot, Kobritz got to know Stephen King, and a conversation began about other works King had written that Kobritz might option for adaptation. King offered up two, Cujo and Christine. Now, Kobritz apparently wasn't a fan of Rabid St. Bernard's because he chose to option Christine the Stephen King tale of a 1958 cherry-red Plymouth Fury with a mind of its own. When it came to directors, Kobritz wanted John Carpenter, best known for Halloween, The Fog, and The Thing at the time. Now, Carpenter had been in demand, and he was already working on a Stephen King adaptation of Firestarter. But production delays which are fairly standard in the film business, opened a window for Carpenter to sign on to direct Christine. According to Carpenter, Christine was different for him as it was more of a job and less of a personal project, as was the case with most of his previous works. By this time, his remake of The Thing from Another World, known as John Carpenter's The Thing, had performed not so well at the box office and had generated some negative reviews. Now, although this movie would eventually be hailed as a horror classic, it's one of my favorites, actually, uh, and also considered one of Carpenter's greatest works, at the time, the bad press around the thing cost Carpenter his directing gig on Firestarter, but since he was already committed to Christine, he moved forward with this particular King adaptation that we're looking at this week on the podcast. Christine was released in December of 1983, and it was a modest box office hit, It brought in box office receipts that were double the cost of the production. In retrospect, John Carpenter considered Christine not very frightening, but okay. He had high praise for the cast and crew, but in the end, Carpenter considered the film something that he needed to do at the time for his career. Join Garrett and me now as we talk more about John Carpenter and his movie Christine here on the Midnight Movie Snack Podcast. Yeah, so um, I finally uh, watched Christine again this week, but I just finished watching it. I had to kind of break it up a little this week just because of you know work schedule personal schedule um one of my kids is on fall break right now so just kind of trying to catch it in pieces but you know I I think this is one of those that I seem to recall was on HBO every night it seemed for a spell there I agree uh, and that's that's how I watched it this week is kind of how I saw it on cable uh in that i'd catch a little bit here catch a little bit there and so over the course of like an entire summer i think i like collectively had seen the entire film but just in different bits and pieces 
And uh, so it was kind of fun, not kind of fun. It was fun watching it again this week in the bits and pieces because it brought back a lot of like, oh, yeah, I stopped right here. You know, I had to stop watching here or, oh, I remember this always being something because it seemed like there were certain points in the movie I'd always catch it at. Um, so, so yeah. Um, but I realized watching it this week, it's been, I mean, it's probably been a good 10, 15 years, so maybe more since I've seen it. But how about you? It's been a long time for me. Yeah. But, but, but watching it was like, it was like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It was just, that's yeah. what it was like. It was like, oh yeah, I remember this. I yeah. remember this. It has that kind of effect. A lot of things came bubbling back yep. to the focus. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. The thing that, um, I mean, we've, we've covered John Carpenter's stuff previously. Um, we've covered, I think we've talked about him enough. I mean, I know he's come up in some of our other podcasts. I didn't go back and do a proper check, but I know uh, one of the last things I did was, um, I think it was last year, I, I did one of the smaller episodes about The Thing, which uh, came out before you did. this movie. And um, and if that would have done well, if that would have done well, I mean, yeah. which, okay, it did do well, but it didn't yeah. do well enough at the time. Right. It became a, a cult classic after the fact. Oh, yeah. But he was going to do... What which movie was it? Which it was, huh? He was going to do Firestarter. Firestarter, and they pull and they pulled on because 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 the thing didn't do well enough. Yep, yep. You they think about how good that would have been. I mean, no offense yeah. to the guy who did Firestarter, but really, I mean, well, you know, I was when I was getting ready to watch the movie this week. I did a little bit of research on Monday, just to kind of reacquaint myself because. I remember that time period and just how even back then, you know, as a 12, 13 year old, like I was definitely into the movies. And so like those movie magazines that we've talked about in the past, like Fangoria, Starlog, all of those, I was always reading those like, like at the the newspaper store, the place in the mall that sold all the magazines and comics. And, um, and I just remember thinking that like John Carpenter, because I had I had seen the television broadcast of Halloween, the first one, and I thought it was absolutely awesome. Like it just, I mean, everybody was I remember everybody was talking about it the day after. Um so John Carpenter was somebody for me at a young age, I thought this guy's really good. And um I didn't see the thing until much, much later. Like I didn't get to see it when it first came out. And I don't think I actually saw it until I was probably older, maybe like 17 or so. But I remember the con the controversy when the thing did not do as well as they had expected. And it got some really bad reviews. Like they were very critical of the special effects by saying it was too violent, too bleak. Um, but you know, like we, like you said a moment ago, I mean, turned out though to be not only a cult classic, I think some people would say it's probably Carpenter's best film, even better than Halloween in a lot of ways. Um, and I would argue that, yeah, I think it's, it's in some ways, I think it's better than Halloween because it's uh, definitely showed that he could do suspense in addition to horror. Um, 
And so when that didn't pan out, and then I remember reading that he was not going to be on Firestarter, and I was really disappointed about that because when I heard him, the idea of him doing a Stephen King adaptation, I thought, oh, that's perfect, because that was also kind of the heyday for Stephen King. I mean, he was a fairly new writer on the scene, and Hollywood was in love with his stuff and making movies and mini series out of everything he had at the time. So, um, so yeah, um, I, I just remember him taking this movie and one of the things, you know, and I, I've seen pretty much all of Carpenter's movies, the, Christine, I, I was reminded watching it this week, just how different it is from his other films. Now it's got, you know, he's got some great music in it. Like I love the Christine theme. I think it's, you know, very much in keeping with his style of music. Um, and there are certain moments in the film that I'm like, oh yeah, that's, that's pure John Carpenter there, but, but it feels different from his other films. Like it doesn't feel as personal. Like, I feel like most of Carpenter's films just kind of either come from a place that he either came up with an original idea with someone, or he's adapting something that like he did with the thing. And but it's personal. It's like something that he like personally is invested in. And I feel like with Christine, I don't get that sense. Like, I mean, I think it's a great film. I think he does a great job directing. And I think in some ways it feels like probably when you look at his films before, this one felt like more like a studio movie. Like this is something, you know, like he's doing it by the book here. He's not really trying to branch out and do anything weird or different because I think maybe at the time he was feeling like I need to play it safe because, you know, the thing was such a huge disappointment for him at the time in terms of how it was received. Uh, I think his ego, uh, you know, and just his concern for his career, because, you know, in Hollywood, you know, your your next movie, if it's a flop, you could be gone. <laughs> like you could be like yeah, it's very fragile. Yeah. So I totally get the kind of the sense. So I, I almost get a sense that he went into this movie. He's like, okay, I got this movie. This movie's a guarantee. I'm going to just follow the blueprint of the screenplay. I'm not going to deviate from things. I'm gonna just deliver and I'm not gonna try and go, you know, do anything out of control here so as far as his it, to me his move compared to his other movies this one feels not as risky because like i feel like with his horror movies there was always a sense of uncertainty like michael myers you didn't know when he was going to show up uh the ghosts in the fog you didn't know if, you know they could pop out of anywhere um and then the thing it's like you know, your your best bud could actually be an alien kind of thing. So there was always a sense of suspense and horror. And this, there's some good moments in it, but I didn't find it particularly scary or even horrific. I mean, it was almost more like a suspense thriller. I mean, the car obviously is the supernatural kind of element here. But, um, but one thing I will say, and I'm curious to know if you noticed this, that this in a sense was kind of like a high school movie, right? Because the characters are in high school. It's set in the late seventies. And there was some things in it that I thought Carpenter did and the actors did a great job in, in that like Arnie and his relationship with his friend, which I'm, I'm blanking on 
um, the other character, his friend's name. Maybe I need to yeah, pull John Sutton's character or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And he's a great actor, by the way. Of course, he went on to, he's a director. In fact, both he and Keith are uh, directors. That's kind of like what they do these days. Um, yeah, John Stockwell, uh, Dennis. Dennis, yeah. Dennis. So um, I felt like they had a really good rapport. And and I get the sense I have, there apparently is a special edition of this movie, like a DVD or Blu-ray, where there's uh, a number of scenes that were deleted from the final cut that it seems like it probably just from reading a description of the scenes and not having seen them, it sounds like they probably were scenes that built more of the relationships between the characters. Um, because I think there are some things in this movie that watching it again, after not seeing it for a long time, I felt like there were just a few gaps or there were things missing like um, just Lee's relationship with Arnie, you know, when he starts kind of changing after he gets Christine and he starts becoming, you know, a little bit more of like a rocker kind of, you know, like bad boy, like the relationship between him and Lee, it just felt like there's something missing here. There's some scenes. It jumped. Yeah. There was a, yeah. Ju- there was, it jumped quickly to yeah. that. Like what happened? Like, right. Like I thought it changed way too quick. It was like that. They didn't show a, a a great progression. It was almost like he was nerdy, and then it was like, oh, he's not. Right. Like, okay. And now he's dating this girl. Now they're kind right. of right. Yeah. It's like all of a sudden. Yeah. It's like. Yeah. Yeah. It felt like there's some stuff missing here. Yeah. There. There's some cut. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah. Um. But what they did manage to keep, I felt like, was really good. Like I thought Keith and John, who played Arnie and Dennis, you know, and um, I realized, you know, I. Usually with these episodes, I try to put like at the beginning kind of a overview for people who aren't familiar with the movie and and assuming that people who are listening to this have seen the movie. So if you haven't, I'm kind of like, why are you listening to us? Go watch the movie because um, there's going to be plot lines and all kinds of stuff discussed in this. Um, it has been around since 1983. I think the statute of limitations has is, is run out on spoilers. <laughs> yes. Uh, what? <laughs> But he um, already does what? Well, what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, Keith Gordon uh, plays kind of the main one of the main characters. But he'll be back in back to school. So, yeah, if, right. in case you wonder about that, he's not really dead. He's yeah. a, he becomes a diver to Roddy Dangerfield. And yeah, you know, okay. Keith, Keith was, um, you know, in the. 80s i mean he was in some some really good well even going back to the 70s because he was in jaws too he played one of the teenagers in that um it was kind of a nerdy character in that one um and then obviously this one you mentioned back to school um which i was just listening to a podcast talking about that movie and um there was another oh um he was in some of brian de palma's stuff he was in a dress to kill and um a couple other things but he was really good at playing the nerdy type but what i really liked about him in this is that when he goes dark he he really you know is convincing and it, again i think it suffers from the same kind of thing like what we were talking about his relationship with kind of the the female protagonist lee in this that it felt like kind of rushed there's 
his transition, like you said, it's like one day he's nerdy and then all of a sudden he's not. And it's like, there wasn't like this kind of progression of like, okay, he, as he's working on this car, he's starting to change and maybe it's subtle at first, but then it becomes more and more. It just seemed like, boom, he's different. But um, even despite the kind of choppiness of that, I felt like he did a good job um, playing somebody who, you know, just basically has been, you know, a nerd and he was picked on being bullied by those, those punks in the movie, probably for even years before this movie starts. Right. And, you know, he gives, he gets a taste of whatever it is that Christine's giving him, which is, you know, kind of confidence or it's like kind of possessing him in some way. And, you know, he's kind of drawing strength from that. Um, but I gotta say like watching it again this week, like his death scene, I just felt, I was like really bummed out. Like, you know, on the one hand, like I think back when I first saw this in the eighties, it's like, well, of course he's got to die. I mean, he's a villain in this. I mean, the car is bad. Yes. But it's like, yeah, it's it's made him evil. Yeah. yeah, It's a, he's a participant in it. And there's something that I noticed um, watching the movie. And that is the scenes where Christine is basically tracking down those, those bullies and kind of picking them off the windows are tinted so you can't see if arnie's driving it or if christine's driving it now obviously the assumption is it's christine she's you know especially when it gets all burnt up and it goes back to the garage and then the guy who owns the garage opens the door and there's nobody in there um but there i think there at least early on you kind of have this uncertainty like is arnie driving this car is he the one killing you know these guys or is it the car itself so um i thought that was a cool touch just because it was you could tell the windows were intentionally darkened um yeah some of those things you could see the tent on it was like this is pretty heavy tent but um but yeah um so yeah i think the acting in this was really good and i something tells me that if Carpenter had come into this movie, like, let's just say the thing was a success. He did Firestarter and that was a success, probably in likelihood it would have been a huge success with him doing it. And let's say he got to do this one also. Uh, I think you probably, this would have been a longer movie slightly. I mean, it already is almost two hours. Uh, but I think there was just so much there because the actors are really good in this, I think, across the board. And even Alexandra Paul, who plays Lee, this was her first movie. Uh, and it shows. I mean, you can tell she's kind of, but I thought she was good for her first movie. Um, she was really good. Okay. And I can't, yeah. I, I don't know if you read anything about the movie, but apparently she has a twin sister. And her they her, they played a prank on John Carpenter where her sister came to the set and makeup and wardrobe dressed her up as if she were Alexandra. And they shot a scene with her sister and Lee walk or Alexandra walks up to John after they've called cut or he, after he calls cut and she's like, you, what have you replaced me? And then <laughs> apparently John did a double take and he said, I knew something was off, but I couldn't put my finger on it. So yeah, so yeah, yeah. Play yeah. A joke on him. You know, Darren talking about her. You know, in the in the drive-in scene, when before before Christine chokes her, yeah, 
she gets out of the car, you know, they're kind of making out and they, she gets yeah. out, runs out to the, to the concession stand. And so, and so after that scene, but, but it was during that scene there that, that, that I was looking at her and I was like, she looks like Erica Durant. looks like mm-hmm. Lois Lane from Smallville. Yeah. When he takes her home yeah. and she's they're having a conversation, dude, it could be, it's like looking, it was like looking at Erica Durant's. It was like looking at Lois Lane from Smallville. Yeah. Those who don't know, she was she played Lois Lane in Smallville, and it looked just like her. It was just it was think, freaky. Yeah. I was like, wow. I think you actually answered a question that in the back of my head, like I was thinking that she reminded me of somebody, but I I didn't yeah. put it together until you said. I will it. put it side by side. I will I will have to like I'll have to I have to pull this out and like put it on our Instagram or yeah. something and, and show people. Cause it really, it's amazing. Yeah. And did you recognize the old man at the beginning who sold Christine? Oh yeah. That's the next um, Macaulay Culkin's next door neighbor. Old man Marley. Yeah. It was like right off the, I was like, I know that voice. And I was yeah. like, I know that man. That's who that, yeah. I was like, Oh my gosh, which is wild. There's this, there's, there's two John Hugh connections. Okay. That's the first one. Can you tell me the other one? Do you think you can catch it? John Hughes. John Hughes. It's, it's, a, it's a little stretch on the second one. This, this, on, on this first one was easy. Oh, the second Harry, one's a little much. Harry Dean Stanton. Harry Dean Stanton, who was in uh, Pretty in Pink. The, there's three, three <laughs> John Hughes connections. Okay. That's, you have to give me the other one. I can't. The other one is uh, the, the guy who was the, who was, um, uh, Mr. Darnell, the the uh oh that's uh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he is he was in um uh Miracle on 34th Street, which people don't think about that being a John Hughes, but John Hughes John wrote Hughes. the screenplay for that. That's and right. he was and, and and what a great I mean, he plays a great Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. Sa- no, he's not Santa Claus, he's the he's the judge. He's a judge. That's right, the judge. He's a judge. He's a yeah, judge. The, the movie's about Santa Claus. The movie's about Santa Claus. But he yeah. but he, he's very likable. Oh, yeah. In that. I mean yeah. he's he's got a very he's got a very common sense type of kind of likability in that movie. And it's like, and then he's like here, it's like he's all like grumpy and like give yeah. me water, I'll kick you out of this place and I'll do this. Yeah. And you, you know, you kids and you know. Yeah, that was uh the actor is uh Robert Prosky. He's yeah, he's he's actor. really good. He's a good actor. I mean, yeah, he's a terrific character actor. Um, so there's one thing I I, I have to mention. I'd, I'd be kicking myself if I if I failed to mention this for this episode. Can I just like give a shout out to the special effects team that designed the special effects for the car? Because I'm going to tell you what those things those things when basically so for those who don't aren't familiar with the movie just in a nutshell christine is this car that's possessed by some sort of evil force that you can damage it you set it on fire you can do all this stuff to it and it will basically rebuild itself to its pristine christine condition of this christine pristine that's right this fire transformers robots guys in 1958 so um so anyway, um, the special effects of them, like when it's all banged up and everything, and it basically comes back to its original form. Like I know the trick was they filmed stuff in reverse, and apparently the they basically created these molds of the actual cars, and they cast it with this kind of plastic material that on film looked like metal. You could like dent it and do all kinds of stuff to it. So they basically had it like the internal part of this mold had all these hydraulics 
that would basically cause the material to implode or kind of kind of go in. So when they filmed it and then played it in reverse, it looked like basically the car was like rebuilding or regenerating itself back into it. But there's a couple of shots in there where I'm like, CGI couldn't even touch this. Like, I mean, it's it's so well done. It doesn't look cheap. It looks like I agree. It's I mean, I was blown yeah. away by how how good it looked. And especially in light of the fact that I, I heard that they're apparently working on a remake of of Christine. And I was thinking, well, yeah, I mean, if they did a remake of this, I mean, that that car would be CGI and it would be doing all kinds of stuff. And it's just like it was really cool just to see this is something practical. There's no like computer generated anything here. This is an actual real thing that was being filmed and it's doing this kind of remarkable yeah. special effect. That's the thing I think I took from this movie is like, and I think that's what Carpenter brought to it is just comparing. I'm not, I'm not trying to slam on Firestarter, not trying to slam on, even Silver Bullet or any other you know movies that there were what it it's it looked it looked it looked cleaner crisper. There's something the way that there's something about the way he films. I don't know about what it is, but it just it it I don't know, man. It's I mean like the, I mean it just has a different feel to it. It's just it really yeah. is just very well done. And yeah. then and then yes, the, the effects the special effects were incredible. Yeah. I mean, they, they absolutely were. And you're right. And I think, well, that's one of the things that people often either don't mention or they just kind of downplay it. But, you know, Carpenter did not know. I mean, he grew up. If you if you've watched any interviews with him or seen any interviews or read any, um, he was really influenced by some of the great filmmakers you know, of like the fifties and forties, fifties and sixties. Like I know John Ford was a director that he really admired. And so he had a very kind of um, non-genre kind of filmmaking education. So like when he looks at like when he, the way he films things, it's like, to me, it's like, this is somebody who's really studied film. They know how to set up a shot. They know how to put something together in a way that has that kind of effect of like being real, real crisp. Like one of the things I thought he did really well in this movie, this kind of connection with the music that he created and then like the the concept with the headlights, you know, when they would appear and they'd be this bright headlights and the kind of the music cue that would go with it. There were some of those scenes where, you know, it's like for, for something that wasn't heavily like, you know, over the top with special effects, like it really does convey kind of a sense of like, uh oh, you know, this sense of suspense, the sense of dread. And I just got to say the whole sequence when the car comes out of the garage, when it's blown up and it's on fire, and it's driving down the road on fire and like that music and just that the lights, the flames, it's like, that is so like, again, like, I don't think CGI could even come close to touching because it's like, it's one of those things it's, it's creepy, but it's also like visually like really interesting. It's like, this thing is like, looks like it's come straight out of hell and it's like flames and it's just coming right at the camera. Um, just really, really good stuff. 
Who made who? Oh, sorry. That's, we're not talking about maximum overdrive. We're talking about, I mean, you're talking about automobiles and vehicles, yeah. stuff, you know. Yeah, well, that's you bring up a good point, though. It's like Stephen King and cars with a mind of their own uh, is definitely a topic that's a favorite of his, it seems. Yeah, I mean, real. I mean, I know that was like that. That came out. The Maximum Overdrive came out just a few years later. I mean, it's just like it's. Yeah. It was not a. It was not a stretch. Yeah. Yeah. I did. Uh, you know, the other thing I noticed watching it is, it's definitely uh, a horror movie from the '80s, if only for the fact at the very end. So they've crushed, flattened. Oh. Christine is now a cube. Yep. <laughs> chunk of metal and it cuts the camera pans to at the very end you see that little piece starting to move and it's like okay yeah here we go so open the door up for the you know for a sequel and they never did one which was wow, which was surprising that they didn't i mean like yeah. even even if it was a, a direct to video right whatever see here's here's my thing all right if 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 whatever studio and, and i didn't even research anything about this supposed remake that's being discussed i think um blumhouse is involved with it in some way if, if i remember correctly but um you know my thinking is like if you're gonna do a remake don't do a do a sequel like do a sequel as a kind of like okay it's been you know what are we 40 years now do a requel? Is that what you're trying to tell me? Yeah, exactly. A Do the Scream 5 formula? Right. What? You know, where it's like, you know, maybe, you know, Dennis is still, you know, still alive and, you know, he's kind of still, you know, kind of not mourning the loss of Arnie. But, you know, it's like that was, a, you know, it was a really bad time. And, you know, maybe like Christine shows up and. Now another young man is coming along, or a young woman's coming along, and exactly. You know, so I, I'm with. I, I think it's a brilliant idea because it's like it because it's you could pay homage to the original, and you could still do something totally. Yeah, new. I mean, you could it it could fit both of those things. I think you could still. Yeah, yeah. It, it wouldn't it wouldn't hurt by not it wouldn't hurt. I mean, it, it wouldn't take away by, right. by honoring the past. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, the other thing I was going to say is now I'm not really a car person, you know, I'm not like, I don't go gaga over classic cars, but I got to say this car looks beautiful in this movie. Oh, it's a gorgeous car. I mean, there are some, some sequences and even the sequence at the drive-in movie theater, um, when Lee is, you know, when Christine's choking her basically or strangling her, um, when the interior lights up from the inside that whole yeah. that was i mean again i think that's just a, a sign of just how great john carpenter is with visuals like it was so different because you know this whole thing of like this car how is it able to do this but that simple you know bright light gives you the sense of like oh yeah something's happening you know it's kind of without using like a lot of special effects it's just like some really bright lights yeah, the light. Yeah, like the uh, the radio light was green. It, it got green, really yeah. bright, and then it yeah. then that bright light just kind of yeah. like, where did it come from? I mean, even even she even said she goes, she goes, yeah, the whole car lit, it lit up. You know, she was yeah. like, it it was doing something to me, and he was like, oh, yeah. you know, yeah, and it's it's uh, just these little things that you know really convey a lot. I think it's just. Um, 
from what I was reading in the research I was doing, it sounds like, well, two things I read. One, um, Stephen King wasn't a fan of this adaptation. Uh, he kind of puts it in the same camp with The Shining, where he just felt like they didn't get it. You know, they're kind of slow. They're kind of boring. Kind of, which, you know, I, I'm, I'm one of those that like, okay, it's, it's not, okay, it's not your book, but that's okay. It's an adaptation. It doesn't have to be. I, for one, like Christine. I think it's good. I don't think it's Carpenter's best. I don't think it's the best Stephen King adaptation, but I think it's good. I think it's a it's lot good. Better. It's entertaining. Yeah, that's the whole thing. It's inter It's a. It's a and good. It goes it's by for me, even though I had it broken up and viewing it in pieces, it goes by quickly. Like it, it moves at a good pace. And maybe that's why some stuff got edited. Maybe it was yeah. dragging to. Maybe it was dragging. Awesome. Even though it would be helpful to have a little bit more information, but yeah. or to kind of fill in the blanks a little bit. But I mean, I mean, we could get it. I mean, you could yeah. follow along with what happened, but maybe that's why they did it. Maybe it was dragging a little too slow. Well, the you know to me the other test of of what you know so i read christine i read the book and this is a case of where i'm going to majorly disagree with stephen king i actually think it's better than the book uh the christine is not by any means like my favorite stephen king book it's not even close in fact i would say it's probably one of his worst i just didn't find it for me like most of his stuff i i would read i mean i would just tear it up you know um, I would really just fly through his stuff because I just enjoyed reading it. But Christine is one of the few books of his where I'm just like, yeah, I'm not really. I've, I've read it, I think, maybe once, and I've never gone back to it again, whereas there are other books of his I've read more than once. Um, yeah, so, I never read it, so I can't. Yeah. I can't. Well, I, I, mean, I, think the movie, I think the movie is a much better, like, there, there are some differences between the book and the movie. Um, one of the main things that was the, the main difference is in the book, you get a very clear sense that Arnie is possessed not by Christine, but by the ghost of the guy that owned Christine. Ah, okay. basically, he's, he's the malevolent force that's kind of causing everything. Carpenter goes, he goes a little more generic and he's like, no, this thing just had like it, it was evil when it was on the assembly line. Right. Uh, which that opening scene is not in the book uh, with the guy getting his hand smashed and then the guy dying inside the car, you know, suffocating. Um, but I kind of like that. I like this idea of like, it's just evil. We don't, you know, it's not some, it's not possessed by a ghost. It's not possessed by somebody who lived, who owned it before. It's just evil. It's just a bad, something, something got a hold of it and it's just bad. Yeah. I, I mean, and, and that's what I think that kind of set it, that I kind of set it up. It's almost from the get go. But the question is, but the question there kind of goes, what, what caused that? Like, what is the real origin about why was it? Like, what if, I mean, I don't know. It's just, I mean, yeah. It does make you wonder, like, what was the, you know, it, it, but uh, but even from the get go on the assembly line, it was doing, it was doing crazy things, evil things, whatever. He, she did not like that. She did not like that guy dropping his his cigar ash on her. You know, no, no, no. She was a lady. <laughs> you don't treat a lady that way. Right. Exactly. Yeah, there there are 
there were some moments in this film where it's going to sound weird. I actually found myself rooting for Christine. And at the end, I was kind of like, I'm kind of bummed that they killed her off. I don't know. Normally, I don't root for the bad guys uh, in these movies. But I don't know. I just think Carpenter shot the car so well. And it was so, you know, and just it was this amazing thing to behold when it would repair itself like we talked about and when it was on fire and you know and um so it's i really am surprised that this one didn't get some sort of sequel treatment though because i mean i think it it seems like it did pretty well um you know yeah, I mean, I when look I, at the numbers on it i, I look at it but... so it was made for a budget of 10 million but the box office it took in 21 million so unless you know this studio so this was columbia so unless they're like well yeah we got 21 million but the budget was 10 but we spent another 10 on advertising or marketing or whatever so they're like we're only ahead a million then you know but i don't know i don't i remember this having television commercials and uh and i want to say even radio spots but i'm like this this movie did well for the for the studio, I would think. I mean, I get yeah. this. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I it, it's it, it it is surprising. Yeah, and it got you know it got decent reviews. I mean, there were there were some who really liked it, and you know, which honestly, most of Stephen King's movies back then got that kind of response. There'd be some critics who would be like, "Yeah, this is really good. It's entertaining. It's faithful to." king's work or you know it's a nice take on it and then you get some who would just absolutely despise it because they just thought you know stephen king is not you know he's not an author he's just he just writes this horror nonsense like nobody took him seriously i guess um yeah you know but uh, like 40 years later here he's still he's he's mm -hmm. still putting out stuff mm -hmm. people are still making movies and tv like shows he's, and he's laughing all the way to the bank so it's yes like, I'll, yeah, you, you can keep your bad review. Does does not hurt him at all, you know, kind of thing. But uh, but yeah, it's um, it's interesting though the research, just reading about kind of Carpenter, his take on the movie, and I think he he has said two things. One that he took the movie because it's kind of like you know everything else around it was like crashing and he's like i you know i got this i'm gonna i'm gonna do something with this but but he his general opinion was that you know the movie was okay you know it did okay it's like the cast was great and you know it was it was a you know good cast so it was a fun movie to make it was easy there wasn't anything tough about it but you know he's like and it did okay so People have been nice about it. That's great. So I don't really get a sense that this was like his baby that he like, oh, I love this movie. This is, you know, very personal. I think it was just, this is a job I've been given and I'm going to try to do my best to to knock this one out of the park. I think you did a great job. I yeah, really do. I think I, you did I, too. I, I, yeah. think it's... I do too. I think I will, I'll go so far as to say that to me and i think you kind of were getting at this a moment ago maybe this is what you were saying is that when you look at the the, the king movies that have come out up to this point to me this one looks the slickest and the most professional like 
everything else before, not that those things look bad, but I don't know. This just had a polish on it that um, I just felt like, okay, yeah, this is, this is, uh, this is, this takes it seriously. This takes King seriously. Um, and I know somebody would take offense with that and say, well, what about The Shining? The Shining was visually, you know, like, no, it was. I'm not saying it wasn't. It's no. amazing visuals and it's a great, you know, I think in its own way, it's a, it's, a, it's an, a, an interesting adaptation of the book. Um, but I don't know, just something about this one just felt very like professional from a studio perspective. It did. I mean, it just stands. I mean, even though, even though Cujo, I'm not trying to, I mean, we'll talk about Cujo coming up soon. Mm-hmm. And, and I just, I'm really trying to segue into that, but even though it's pretty much set in a very, you know, in a car, most, a lot of the movie, the dog, you know, whatever, but even that it, it has a different, even a grainier kind of feel to it yeah. as, because I mean, part of the, you know, part of it is the setting, but, but with this movie being in its California, it's just, I mean, it just, I don't know, but there's something the way he filmed it was just really, it, it almost has a Halloween feel to it. What do you kind of like, if, if you're not thinking about Michael Myers, you're like, it's a car. It's like there, there is, there is some Halloween feel to this because some of the locations in Christine are in the same neighborhood as some of the locations shot for Halloween. I didn't even, uh, no, I'm the location guy. And I didn't know that. Yeah. I just, I read that earlier today and there awesome. are, there, there are some shots, especially the scene when uh, Arnie comes to pick up um, Dennis and at night and Lee is hiding because she doesn't want Arnie to see her, that she's been over to Dennis's. And that neighborhood is one of the neighborhoods near where they shot. Oh, that's cool. And then I even think the house, Arnie's house, that neighborhood, I remember thinking that looks a lot like, and I looked it up and it was like, yeah, they were shot in the same neighborhood. So, so yeah, it definitely has, uh, it kind of captures that vibe as well. But I tell you, this was, I'm so glad this was, you know, just happened to be one of the, the ones we chose, you know, for this month, because I think it's a, it's a good adaptation. It was fun watching it again. I definitely think it's, it's one that if anybody hasn't seen it and is a fan of Stephen King or a fan of John Carpenter, you, you should totally watch this movie. Um, oh, it's, it's worth yeah, it. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, I, I know some of this, I think this is nostalgia for us for, you know, that we were both. I mean, I think this just should be should be stated for the for our audience listeners is that we were teenagers in the 80s mm-hmm. during this time frame. And this is like some of and like you mentioned, you mentioned right at the get go that this was on HBO a lot. Yeah. And that's how I saw it the same way. And and it, so it's like 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 this was this was like close to my introduction to Stephen King. This was this. For a lot of people, bullets. I mean, Mm -hmm. I mean, first all that, all that was in it. So, so, so going back to what we did last week with Cat's Eye, when I saw Cat's Eye, I was kind of like, this isn't, (laughs) you know, I mean, even though Christine makes a cameo appearance, appearance, which we mentioned last week, yeah, it still is like going, it's kind of like, this is not, this isn't even Chris, this isn't even, even as intense as Christine. Yeah. You know, it's just that's what I'm, you know, and even though even though Silver Bullet has the werewolf and, you know, that's fun. It's a different take on different things or whatever. But, you know, still, it's just kind of one of those things. Of, but it's still I think it holds up. I think that's the point I'm trying to make. It holds up. It still, it still is a good movie. Absolutely. Definitely. 
Thanks for joining us for tonight's episode. Next week, a very Stephen King Halloween continues with another King adaptation from 1983, the one producer Richard Coberts didn't want, Cujo. Until then, keep up with the podcast on Instagram at the Midnight Movie Snack Podcast. If you like this episode, be sure to like, subscribe, and tell a friend about us. We'll see you next week.